The objective, to deliver the NBA to you like no other. News, play breakdowns, power rankings, storylines you never hear talked about anywhere else. It's all straight shots here. Fired by straight shooters. S and gun. This is the Objective Basketball Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Objective Basketball Podcast. No Lauren this week. She's still uh, at Yellowstone Ranch with John Dutton. But we're just coming off Game 3 of the NBA Finals, a game where the Denver Nuggets uh, took care of business in a very, very dominant fashion. It is finals time, so why don't you get in the game and make your next bet with Sports Interaction. Bet before the game or live in play on all your favorite teams' matchups. Head to sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn or download the app to get started. 19 plus, please play responsibly. Joining me today, I got two very, uh, they're near and dear to my heart. Two two near and dear to my heart, people. Um, because, you know, we, we, we converse in a group chat very, very often. We talk uh, very often about the game of basketball, among other things. Um, but these, these are two guys that are also in the game. They are also content creators. They are guys who are cooking and making things on their own. Uh, I will introduce Trey first uh, because he's older. Sorry, Kai. My bad. Uh, <laughs> this is this is <laughs> Trey from the Pull Up Trey podcast on Raptors Republic. What up, Trey? I'm good. I'm good. I've been begging. I've been pleading to be on this illustrious podcast. I'm, I'm glad I was finally <laughs> able to convince you. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you, you really, you got my hand there. Okay. Anyways, uh, we second guest here is, is a youngin. He's, he's a developing star. He's a most improved player. Uh, you know, he's some, some would say a high upside pick when it comes to, you know, draft prospects. He does great YouTube content. Uh, he, he does, you know, guest spots on podcasts. We were lucky to get him here today it's hard to get him. uh makai bruce also a raptors republic aficionado but he does his own stuff on the side as well kai how you doing man yeah i'm good man i'm glad that you know famous people like you you know work with me i'm I'm really oh of course yeah of course man um okay look let's get into the to the game itself uh because you guys are the guests i'll kind of let you guys start off where you guys want to um, just as a bare bones, you know, kind of topic about it. The, the Nuggets dominated the second half of this game. Um, they finished it off 109-94. Jokic had a triple-double. Jamal Murray finished with a triple-double. I'm actually very curious. I'll check that later. Uh, when was the last time two teammates had a triple-double in the same game in the NBA Finals? I'm really curious to when, when that was. But um, in general, fellas, like where do you guys – where do you guys sit after this game? Because it was just such a dominant second half from the Nuggets that um, it, it feels like it's hard for the Heat to to climb back and, and you know make something of the series. Trey, I'll, I'll start with you first. Yeah, um, I think I sit sort of how I thought at the beginning. Um, because of uh, Miami's like lack of size, they don't really have an answer when Jokic gets a deep seal and is able to is able to get some sort of positioning offensively. I think heading into this game, like Denver, like pretty actively decided that they're going to put Bam and Jimmy in, in every single action possible with their two-man game. And with Jimmy's injuries, it seems as though like 
there's been a bit of a regression on defense. He can get over screens the same way that he could. And Jamal has been able to to get deep paint touches. He's either dishing it off to Jokic or Jokic is finishing it off and scoring. And without like Miami shooting at a super high clip offensively, I don't think they'll be get, able to get enough stops to make this series like to take the series to like six or seven. So right now I'm I'm probably gonna say Denver in in five. They they I yeah I'm gonna say Denver in five. Like unless Miami shoots the lights out on what Friday, I I don't see them winning another game. Kai, how you feel? Yeah, I'm kind of in the same place as Trey. You know, earlier in the series, I was like, this is probably going to be a bad series for Miami because they don't really have a big guy, you know, enough to really bother Jokic like that. And after this game, it just shows that because Denver didn't even shoot really good from three. Like, this wasn't even like an amazing game for them. I mean, we see, you know, the result of it. So I think, yeah. like Trey said, I think it's probably over in a five unless we get like a crazy, you know, Jimmy 40 points. They shoot 48% from three, you know, something like that. But this, this series is probably over, you know, really soon. It's it's funny because uh, the first half sort of went the way Miami likes to play these games. They kept it close. Uh, I thought their zone kind of made it a little bit hard on the Nuggets. Uh, the, the Nuggets supporting cast wasn't hitting their shots. And that, I guess that's another aspect of this. And you guys mentioned they haven't played one of their best games yet. Um, Michael Porter Jr., one of seven again. Bruce Brown, one of five. They, they got Christian, uh, Christian Brown or Christian Braun, whatever you want to call him. They got the contributions from him, especially in the second half. He was he was great. He was tremendous. He broke down the zone in a really, really great way. But KCP, one of four. Bruce Brown, like I mentioned, one of five. So their regular rotation players haven't really shown up in this series. Um, I'm curious to see if you guys think that's something the Heat are doing to make it hard on them, or is it just those guys not hitting their shots? Kai, I guess, uh, I, I guess, if you want to go first, or whichever one, you guys jump in, man. You got, you guys are adults. You guys can, you guys can tackle <laughs> this. Go ahead, go ahead, Kai. Yeah, I don't really think it's anything special Miami is doing because you know Jokic is going to generate great looks all the time, and we see you know throughout the games, KCP has gotten a lot of looks off the handoffs. Michael Porter Jr. has gotten a lot of great looks. I just think they're just not hitting the shots like that. I don't think it's any kind of special scheme Miami is doing really. Yeah. Uh, I I think the same. Like um, Miami's focus, like very significantly on like ball denial with with Jokic. A big reason why they go into zone often. So they've their role players have been been getting a lot of looks, and I think you saw it a bit more in the second half. Like Aaron Gordon was able to get a deep seal on Max shoots literally nine times out of ten, and was able to establish deep yeah. posts and score score a couple buckets. I think. Um, we're going to see a game where Denver probably hits forty percent of their forty percent of their threes, and that's when you're going to get that A game with Jokic like being as dominant as ever. Yeah, you 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 mentioned the threes. They were they only shot twenty eight percent from there. They only took eighteen threes. Also, um, the other side of this is Denver was just dominant inside. Uh, I yeah. got to check exactly what it was, but 60, 60 points in the paint compared to Miami's thirty four. I mean, they were just feasting inside, like literally whatever they wanted, they got inside the paint. I, the the size advantage, if you will, has been a huge part of the series. I think Denver has had a size advantage. P- 
pretty much throughout the playoffs. Maybe you could say Minnesota was equal in size with Gobert and Cat in them, but they they definitely weren't as physical um, as Denver has been. And I think that has played to, to their advantage throughout these playoffs. I mean, they've just dominated inside, and it makes it so that they, they don't have to rely on that three-point shot as much as some other teams would. I think you can look at the Celtics, who are really, really reliant on their three-point shot. They can't generate paint touches regularly. They can't get downhill regularly, and it makes it so that— So I, I guess my question to you guys is, how important, after this playoff run, after looking at the grand scheme of things— how important is getting into the paint? How important is rim pressure? How important? I mean, we've talked about this before in our group chat a million and one times, but I'm curious what you guys say, because it seems like Denver is proving our point right, that rim pressure matters. Again, y'all are adults. T- take your spots. Yeah. Pick what you... <laughs> uh, I think... Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's obviously super important. Like, um, Like, even in the most, like, nerdy, analytical way, like layups are the most efficient shot that you can generate and they're the easiest shots to replicate over and over again. Um, Denver, I think what Denver shows and I think big, just big men in general create the largest mismatch just typically because there's not many big men in the league that can score at a, at a really high clip. And yeah. the league um, is now shaded towards a slender, more athletic big man that can switch, um, able to offer more offensively. And some, there's not many bodies for, like, a Jokic and Anthony Davis. And you saw, like, those, like, two players have been, like, super impactful in the playoffs being able to help on, on both ends just because, like, there's not many, like, humans that, that can physically guard them. Yeah, I think, you know, obviously rim pressure is really, really important because it's really hard to just make a living on just jump shots. Like, we see, you know, with Boston, they weren't generating a lot of stuff at the rim and, when they weren't shooting well, you know, they obviously lost every game. And then when they did shoot well, they won the games. But with Denver, they have a lot of, you know, inside stuff they can go to. And they don't really get hit with the variance as much because of, you know, their inside presence and whatnot. So rim pressure and just generating stuff in the rim is really important because it's easier to fall back on than shooting a bunch of, you know, tough shots, tough threes, tough minis, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you guys. I, I, I wonder if Miami – and by the way – like let's let's get into the Miami aspect of things because I think they did some things good in the first half of this game. It's just that they went away to it and and Denver was just flat out more dominant. They figured out how to carve up Miami's defense, make you know punish these kind of mismatches like you mentioned earlier, Trey. When it comes to Bam, because Bam has had a phenomenal series. I mean, what did he have tonight? He had just real quick. Let me pull it up. Bam had. Yeah, he had 22 and 17 tonight. Like he he he's been doing what he needs to pretty much all series. And yet it's still it 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 hasn't mattered to the point that people have thought. Um what are the what are the Heat got to do? What, what do you think if you're if you're in Miami's locker room right now, if you're thinking about adjustments, how can Spo and and you know Jimmy and Bam and all those guys how can they figure out a way to to make things a little bit tougher on on Denver? Because in the second half, it just seemed like whatever they were throwing at them didn't work. I think what what I would do is um, they tried it initially in Game One. Is I would I would go a thousand percent on trying to deny him the ball. Like uh, I know I'm like we're both are plugged 
that's where we that's where we are. But like the Raptors, like are one of the best teams at guarding at guarding Jokic. They yeah. they front they front and are able to come. The usually the roamer or the weak side defender who's on Aaron Gordon will then roam and and shade over to Jokic once he gets the deep catch. So, which leads to a lot of turnovers and it'll help Miami actually get, get running right now. Like he's catching the ball. He's able to turn around and, and make a decision. Although it's like not, not the, the easiest way to guard him. It requires a, a lot of energy defensively. I think Miami needs to try to score easy baskets right now. Everything is difficult. Even with Jimmy scoring right now, they had to empty a, a whole side of the court, then get a switch with burns off 15 seconds. And then he has to yeah. go run his action and try to score bam who's who's playing really well i think you can't rely necessarily on him making long twos the entire series so they need to just mm-hmm. try to orchestrate more ways to increase the pace and then try to get more transition buckets forcing a lot of turnovers is yeah, the way I to think, go too, but, right kai yeah yeah but i think what miami can do like trey mentioned like kind of use the the classic way to guard Jokic, which is have, you know, not your main, you know, defender on him, have that guy roam and have somebody, you know, fronting him, really making it difficult for him to, you know, catch the ball. I feel like, you know, today Miami gave up too easily on the switches. So you saw Bam switching out and then it would just be Jimmy left on an island with Jokic. And I feel like that's not really ideal because Jokic is going to, he's going to catch the ball and just like Trey said, make easy decisions after turning around. So I feel like they just got to make it tougher for him on the catch, which you saw them do in game one and two, like, you know, some of the zone looks, they would have, you know, somebody like Kayla Mar and a Gabe Vincent kind of fronting him. And as soon as, like, he would turn around, he would have a second body to him. So I think it's just about showing, you know, Bam, I mean, showing Jokic, you know, a lot of bodies. It's uh, it's funny that you guys mentioned how hard it is for Miami to get into anything offensively. I mean, I think, I think that's been the case in the regular season, but throughout these playoffs, they've found ways to generate good looks because of their supporting cast. You know, you see Caleb Martin, you see Duncan Robinson, Max Struess. These guys have been able to be really, really good at creating shots for themselves and also uh, knocking down a lot of shots. They, they, they have been able to do that throughout this series a little bit, but tonight again, Max Struess, one of seven, three points. Um, Caleb Martin was, was pretty good tonight, but Duncan Robinson wasn't the best. I thought he wasn't that great tonight. He, he didn't have that impact. And then, Gabe Vincent was two of 10 tonight. So they struggled again, like the three point shooting, the, the, the scoring that they require from these guys. And maybe this is, maybe this is something about relying on your rotation players too much to be your scores when Jimmy and Bam aren't those prolific bucket getter. I mean, yes, Jimmy is a prolific bucket getter. I'm not saying he isn't, but it's harder for Jimmy to be the main guy to create shots for you when he's not that potent of a three-point shooter because you're losing the quote-unquote math battle. And I wonder how much Miami is, is, is losing this math battle right now. Looking forward into game four, do you guys think Miami stands a chance or is this 3-1 Denver? I think it's most likely 3-1 Denver. But if, if they're going to win, I think, I, I think they probably should start Kyle Lowry and and run, run, and try to actually force mm. Denver and Jokic to to run and try to defend at the rim because right now, like slow, like methodical way that they're playing, a they're not getting enough stops to get into anything. Denver's set every time they 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 get back the ball, 
And then B, yeah. they're just not running enough to get guys in rhythm, create more easy looks for Bam. Like I think although Jimmy was was cooking, it was a detriment to their offense because they were running a very stagnant way of trying to score and trying to replicate that for four quarters, which is very difficult, especially with his injury right now. You actually made me think of something real quick, Kai. I want to I want to bring this up. Um, some people have brought up the idea of drawing out Jokic, and yeah, some other teams in the playoffs have tried to do this, drawing him out so that you can apply pressure to the rim, and then tr- essentially making him move a lot on defense. I don't think Miami has done a great job of that throughout this series. They've tried it in bits and pieces, but the ball sticks a little bit too much. Um, how would you guys try to work that out? How, how do you think... What kind of adjustment would you guys make to try to make Jokic move more on defense, get him, you know, to play higher on pick and rolls and show higher on pick and rolls? What 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 kind of things do you guys think you would do? I guess Kai, if you want to jump in here, but yeah, kind of goes to both of you. Yeah, I would, you know, like Trey said, I would, you know, try and bring Kyle Lowry into the game a lot more because we saw in fourth quarter game one, they ran a lot of hot pick and roll and that just kind of drug, you know, Jokic out of the paint. And they got a lot of good looks in the fourth quarter of that game. And, you know, last game they did a great job of just having Jokic come high on the pick and roll. That would have a lot of, you know, short roll stuff for, for Bam. So it's really just about having a, a three-point threat, you know, on the ball, running that, you know, uh, pick and roll action with Bam. But it really, if it's going to be Jimmy running that, you know, action, they don't really have to come up for the three like that. But if it's like a Duncan Robinson or a Shrews or a Vincent or even a Lowry, it's just about having the right guy running the action with Bam that really forces Jokic to have to step up. Because if it's anybody else, then if it's not somebody that, you know, forces him to step up, you know, contain and guard the three, then Jokic really doesn't have to come up that high. And we saw tonight, you know, Malone had him drop, you know, a little further back and that kind of, you know, swallowed things up for Bam. Pause. And, you know, just yeah. they kind of went away from that lately. And, and yeah. <laughs> Well, okay. So the, the the other thing I wanted to ask real quick is is when it comes to Jamal uh, and and how he's really been able to carve up this Miami defense. I think they've 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 done a good job of getting him involved off the ball as well, um, getting him to be a mover so that he can apply pressure, kind of have gravity off the ball, so that they can try to force shots and create shots for other guys. It just hasn't worked. The guys haven't hit the shots. Like I mentioned earlier, KCP, Michael Porter Jr., they just haven't been able to go down. But I think the adjustment the Nuggets did in terms of where they're positioning Murray um, has been really important in the series. When it comes to Jamal in general, because this is something I was thinking, and you guys you guys are big thinkers, basketball-wise, grand scheme, what this looks like-wise. Where do you guys put Jamal in terms of guards that you guys admire and also in the pantheon of like guards in the NBA right now, because we we've seen him do this in multiple playoff runs. Now he has been spectacular. He's been better than some of the other guards that people would quote unquote have him over. So how do you have this discussion about Murray now? Like what is the discussion around a guy who might not be the best in the regular season? Never been an all-star, right? Never had consideration for all-NBA. But he looks the part of an all-star right now. He looks the part of an all-NBA player. How do you guys rationalize that for yourselves? Like, what's the thought process that goes behind your mind? And, like, what are some guards you guys would take? Or or, or who would you take 
uh, how, how am I messing up this question? You know what I mean? How many guards would you take over Murray right now? You know what I mean? Uh, top of my head, I would say like he's, he's probably a top 10 guard in the league, but he's like closer to 10 than he is to, to one. I would mm-hmm. say I just like a big thing. And I think the, the large correlation to like why his playoffs, um, playoff numbers increase is just like Jokic's usage increase in the playoffs significantly. And with him having the ball a lot more, there's just way more baked, baked in advantages where someone has to come send, send in a weak side double. So he's getting the ball with the, the floor already tilted and he's able to make a play and he's a very good off balance shooter. Whereas like, yeah. The Steph Curry's, the Dame Lillard's of the world, like they're seeing a flat defense and they're trying to stop them from scoring and create advantages for other people. Whereas Jamal is already in possessions where he's facing a two-on-one or he's getting a switch on a lesser defender because they're so worried about, about Jokic. But like, I think he's in uh, like a tier of, of all-star guards where like he could make it on like an off-season of like certain injuries. But I don't necessarily put him like the higher echelon guys like like Steph, uh, Dame, uh, Harden, that that sort of group. Yeah, I would probably have right, Murray. Yeah, I probably have Murray like kind of in the Brunson, you know, kind of area, like really, really crafty, creative guards, and just we've seen him do it as a multiple playoff runs, and he's just really good at kind of working off of Jokic. And even when Jokic is not there, we've seen him. He's obviously a good shot creator. He's really, really good at shooting, mm-hmm. shooting his shot off the dribble. He's a really good ball handler. He can create space. Like He's just a really, really good guard to have in the playoffs because in the playoffs, you know, you really need to have good pull-up shooting like we've seen many, many years now in a row. And Murray is just really, really yeah. good at that. So when you have a guard who can you know, pull up off the dribble, get to the rim as well, have soft touch, floaters, everything, it makes it look really good in the playoffs because – you kind of need that scoring. So the reason I think Murray kind of rises in the playoffs is because he has kind of a unique skill set that not all guards, you know, really have, which is elite shot creation. Okay. So our internet connection is kind of messed up. So this, this next part might be crazy uh, to try to do, but I'm going to throw out a name and you guys tell me if you would rather have that name or Jamal Murray in the NBA playoffs. Okay. Are you guys ready? Yes. No, maybe so. Yeah. We're good. Okay. Um, okay. Tyrese Halliburton. I rather have Jamal Murray. Yeah, give me Murray in the playoffs. Ooh, okay. Um Trey Young. Give Trae me Trey. Okay, interesting. Uh De'Aaron Fox. Fox. Give me Fox. Okay, Jalen Brunson. You mentioned Brunson, but I'll say it again. Jalen Brunson. It's close, but yeah, I'll take Brunson. Okay, there's a couple more here. Uh, Drew Holiday. Give me Murray. Who? Okay. Um, there's there's got to be a couple more here. I'm missing. Hold on. Um, you know what? Let's go with it. Why not? Darius Garland. He played really. He played really bad. Yeah. He did. He did. He did play really bad. <laughs> in a different give context, Murray. give me Darius Garland. I'm. I'm a believer. I'll say give me Murray. Based on what we've seen, on what we've yeah. seen. Okay, Donovan Mitchell. 
Mitch. Donovan Mitchell. Woohoo! Okay, all right. Um, Bradley Beal. Brad. Yeah, Jamal. Yeah, give me Murray or <laughs> this, Brad. This I'll is tough. This is damn. This is harder than I thought it would be. Okay, all right. Uh, Jalen Brown. Where do you guys? Where do you guys? I'm I, actually. This is an interesting one for me. Mm. I'll take Brown. I ain't gonna Jamal. lie. Jamal. Jamal. Ooh. Okay. Jamal's gonna get to the rim a bit. I'm not. I'm not there yet. I, I'll take Brown. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. Zach Levine. Oh, you're making exactly. it tough for me. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we got a resident Bulls fan in here. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I- I'll take Levine. I ain't gonna lie, I'll take Levine. Okay, Over all right. But, but okay, by my estimation, that's at least... I just named a bunch of people who have been all-stars, who have been all-NBA caliber guys, and a lot of those guys, you took Jamal Murray over. Um which is, it's just going to say how impressive this playoff run is for him. Um, And I think what he can provide in a playoff setting, you guys nailed it on the head in terms of what Jokic does to free up space for what Murray can do as a player. He's a perfect release valve for the type of player that Jokic is. Uh, He's been flat out incredible. When it comes to the NBA finals and everything that happens here, we will see how this transpires it's feeling like Denver is going to take control of this series, especially after that second half that we saw in game three. It just feels like they are now in control and they still haven't had one of those explosive offensive games yet. They still haven't had the, we're going to shoot 45% from three game yet. And I feel like that's around the corner. Maybe that's game five when they close it out or, or take the three, two lead. Who knows? We'll see. Um, but gents, there has been other news in the NBA pressing news that we got to talk about because I'm interested in hearing what you guys think. There was news that Chris Paul is according to multiple reports. Cause there was three conflicting reports here about what might happen between yeah. Chris Paul and the Phoenix suns. But Chris Haynes reported that he was going to be getting waived and that they're looking at different options here. Adrian Wojnarowski reported that. They are looking at different options, but Chris Paul wants to return. And then Shams said that, hey, they're thinking about potentially trading him. They might waive him. They might waive and stretch him so that they can re-sign him, which is some kind of crazy loophole that everybody in the NBA is now learning about today. Um, where do you guys sit on on Chris Paul in general? Do you guys think a guy who's you know towards the end of his career, a great career at that, um, has enough left in the tank to be what Phoenix needs if they were to re-sign him. Uh, and then the second part to that question is, if Phoenix doesn't re-sign him, where would you guys like him to go? Kai, I- I'll start with you first. Yeah, I definitely still think that Chris Paul has a lot left in the tank. Because, you know, just the way he plays, he might not get to the rim as much anymore or really at all anymore. But, you know, he can still get to the mid-range, you know, pull up there. He's still a good playmaker. Like, he can still obviously set the table. You know, he can initiate your action still. He's, you know, not really there on defense like he used to be, but I feel like he still has a lot a lot of value to offer, especially offensively. And just being that kind of, you know, veteran presence and just being a common presence on the floor for you, for a team that might be, you know, erratic. So, yeah, I still think that Chris Paul has a lot to offer, you know, as far as uh, as on the court. And if Phoenix does not re-sign him, 
I would love to see him go to Boston. I feel like what they've been missing a lot has just been that playmaker, somebody who can really, you know, pick apart a defense, somebody who can kind of just run the offense, you know, at times. I'm not saying he's going to come in there and just, you know, commandeer the whole entire offense, but I'm saying, like, at times – he'll probably come off the bench in Boston. At times, he can just, you know, kind of calm things down, get the guys easy looks, and just, you know, kind of calm things down in Boston. Um. For for me, I think Chris Paul is like still a positive and he'll help like a contender, but I don't think Phoenix is necessarily the right team. Just like um A, just because Booker and and with Booker and Durant together, you're probably gonna need a guard who's much stronger at the point of attack. Just both they're both of those guys just aren't the quickest type of players. And then mm-hmm. also his biggest benefit like benefits initially when being on the team was how much he boosted up Aiden's like viability on offense, but with Kevin Durant there and and Devin Booker there, a lot of that usage is being sapped up and taken. So teams aren't necessarily guarding Chris Paul as much as you would like, and Aiden is, has less usage on the on that actual team. So I think yeah. a team that would make a lot of sense would be the Bucks. Um, Drew Holiday has been like right or wrong been put in a role that's very tough that may not really fit his his skill set as like a, a primary type playmaker let's just set the table for Giannis Giannis can do enough rim pressure for an entire team he he what I think the Bucks lack is someone that can get him easy shots throw in a post entry push the pace that allows him to get an easy dunk small things like that you see like Kyle Lowry does for like players on the Miami bench Chris Paul can do that for 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 um, for Milwaukee and help them actually get into much better offense and not simply just rely on their like four their four and four and one type of offense with Giannis having to bash through an entire team in order to score a bucket. Yeah, I I I agree with both of you guys in the sense that Boston and Milwaukee would be great picks because I think he would be asked to do less. I think in Phoenix. The role that they have him in right now is just it's probably too taxing for a 38 year old. And like you guys mentioned, like Trey mentioned with the point of attack, uh, his defense has obviously slipped up. And in the playoffs, when you need to I mean, we're seeing it right here with the Miami Heat and the Denver Nuggets when you need to have a formidable point of attack defense, uh, having Booker, having Chris Paul and then behind them, you have guys like campaign and Landry Shamit. That's not a lot of point of attack help. You're just seeing guys who are going to get abused by bigger bigger offensive players, by quicker offensive players. And Chris Paul at the age of 38, like that's that's something you have to consider moving forward, what his next role is on that next contract. Um, that being said, I wouldn't be surprised if the Suns bring him back because if there is this loophole where they can, you know, uh, technically waive him and then if he clears waivers and they don't stretch the contract then he can resign for like a MLE or a taxpayer MLE whatever the the deal would be in that scenario i think excuse me i think that would be more feasible for the suns and then from there you can maybe try and move off of the, where do you guys sit on Aiton i guess that this is the other part of that situation in phoenix is like the 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 suns money issue is so tight and and so wound up in Aiton and Chris Paul that even if they do move off of Chris Paul and make it a little bit cheaper to keep him on, they still don't have enough flexibility to build around this team because of Aiton's contract. And I don't know where you guys sit on DeAndre Aiton. He obviously struggled in the playoffs this year as well. But 
do you guys think that is salvageable, especially with them hiring Frank Vogel, who's like known to guard, not not guard, but coach big men? Trey, I, I guess I'll start with you here because you're a you're a big Frank Vogel guy. I don't know if you are. I'm just saying that to be honest. <laughs> um, Vogel helped LeBron win a championship, so I'm forever indebted, I guess. But um, I, I'm like still pretty high on Aiden. I don't necessarily know if this is the right team or offense for him, just simply because like, um, I'm assuming they're going to keep Monty Williams' offense because Kevin Young is still there. Um, Phoenix runs a lot of weak side actions and runs a lot of movement to get shooters open and get them in rhythm in trying to score. And that not, that isn't necessarily the type of offense that DeAndre Ayton probably should be in. He he wants post touches. He's shown that he has good good touch. He wants to be rolling to the rim, be able to get get catches in deep posts and score from there. Devin Booker and and Kevin Durant aren't the greatest playmakers in the world while being great while they are great scorers. But um I think on another team he could average twenty two and ten, get back to the defensive level that he was during their championship run. Just like simply being being more engaged and actually getting into like an offense, which is going to value his uh, ability to score. Hey, yeah, I'm I'm pretty high on um Aiden as well. I'm really high on his offense. I think that he's kind of an underrated, kind of self creator because a few years ago, I think it was two years ago, we saw him kind of torch in the playoffs from mid range. You know, he showed up that he has really nice touch, and we should he's shown that like he can be a good pick and roll partner with a good playmaker like Chris Paul. But like Trey said, I don't I don't think in the context of the Suns offense, it really makes a lot of sense for him because he's kind of a guy you he wants to have the ball dumped into him and you know kind of score like that. And I just don't think that Phoenix is gonna have a lot of that for him. So if he was to go to a place like you know, like Toronto or Dallas, like somewhere where he can, you know, feasibly get a good amount of touches, I think and you know, there's a place where he's more engaged because he kind of seemed to be held hostage in in um in Phoenix because he signed with Indiana. He was restricted, so he brought him back. It just kind of seemed like it was a lot of burn bridges there. So I think if he can go to a place where he's more engaged and can be more a part of you know more offense, I think he could be a really special guy. You guys, you opened a bit of a can of worms there by mentioning Toronto. Um, I, I guess before we head out since we are all coverers in some way or shape or form of this Raptors team, uh, final guess, final bet on who the Toronto Raptors will be hiring as their head coach. Give me your, give me your final bet. Who is the guy? Trey, we'll start with you first. Who is the guy they hire as their head coach? I'm going to say Kenny Atkinson. Um, he's been in a situation where you've had to rebuild a team and a culture He's shown that he can develop and help younger players win while um, they're kind of in a situation not as bad as those Nets team where, like, they're looking to develop and they don't have their pick next year. So internal development is mm-hmm. going to be massive for them. So I think, A, um, if they are going to run back the exact same team, Atkinson ran a tons of pick and roll. The Fred Van Vliet, Jakob Perno pick and roll was the, their mainstay on offense, was very successful. So that would match a lot with what they were already were doing. And then those principles from the Warriors where they have that 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 points forward type position where he's opening up lots of things for people on their team, like a Draymond, like a Sabonis that you saw with um, Sacramento. Scotty Barnes like fits that mold. Although we don't have the same shooting, he fits he 
he fits the, the exact same mold. So I think it would be a good fit. Yeah, and I'm a, I agree with Trey. I think it's going to be Kenny Atkinson because if you know if you're going to run the same team back, you probably don't want to get like a a really fresh guy. You don't want to get like a guy like you know Sergio or Jordy or a guy like that. You probably want a guy who's you know cut his teeth in the NBA, has head coaching experience, has a ton of you know great experience and with you know the offense and the scheme in, in Golden State. A guy who's proven that he can you know build a team up. So you, you probably want to go with a guy like Kenny Atkinson. Because you still Toronto still does have young players and they still do want to win. So you have a guy who's experienced and a guy who's proven that he can kind of work with the younger guys. Yeah, I, I think I'm leaning Kenny too. Um I I think if the Raptors are running it back, he makes the most sense as a guy to do that. But I also will say if the Raptors do decide to rebuild at some point. Kenny is also a guy that can man the ship in a rebuild because he's a player development guy uh, first. He's obviously a guy who is, you know, in Brooklyn, he obviously built up the culture. We've seen the articles and videos of him, you know, playing in practice, you know, rallying the troops, if you will. Like he, he is that type of coach as well. And I think that goes a long way when you are trying to do a rebuild. So let's say a year down the line, two years down the line, the Raptors decide, hey, we're actually going to reset this whole thing. I could see them still keeping Kenny on. And now you have Kenny who has developed a relationship with Scotty with an OG. And, you know, you kind of move forward in that direction from now on. Maybe it just lets you extend this core and give them another shot at the can uh, over the next couple of seasons. So we'll see what happens, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Listen, this group chat episode has been really, really fun. Despite the sloppy internet connection, it has been a battle. It has been a battle for these for these last 40 minutes to do this with you guys, but it has been one that I have loved. Thank you. I appreciate you guys for coming on. Anything you guys want to plug or or mention before we head out of here? Anything um, at all? No, nothing to plug. Just thank you for having us. Um, this won't be the last time that I, I beg and plead to be on your podcast. <laughs> yeah, Listen, man. Thanks a lot. Be, you're, gonna, you're gonna be on the. You're gonna be on the Vegas pod. Sorry, Kai. I I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Are you good? Nah, just thanks for having me on. You know, I'm probably gonna be on this train again. It's only my last time asking as well. But yeah, thanks a lot. Appreciate you guys, man. Yeah. Listen, we will do more of these uh, throughout the summer and hopefully in better conditions, internet connection wise. But. For everybody that's been listening at home, we appreciate y'all tapping in to the Objective Basketball Podcast. We will be with you guys next week. Um, There's a lot on the line, ladies and gentlemen. The NBA Finals might be determined by the next time we talk, maybe, potentially. We never know. Um, As always, we appreciate you guys for tapping in. We will see you guys later. Peace. Follow hosts at Just S. Barahini on all socials and at The Lauren Gun on Twitter. The Objective Basketball Podcast. Delivering the NBA to you like no other.